And for our uh, reflection this afternoon, we turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And we'll be reading the first three verses. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. So I want to speak briefly this afternoon. Um, it's not going to be in-depth uh, in terms of an exposition, an in-depth exposition, but want to present to you some thoughts for us to reflect on the subject. It's not a popular subject, but it is one that is very much relevant to us, whether or not we know it, and it is the subject of hypocrisy. And in saying that, I'm not saying that I'm speaking on this because you or I are hypocrites. But it's a subject worth visiting. It's a subject worth reflecting on because hypocrisy is one of those sins that is very subtle. It can creep upon us and it can overtake our lives without our even knowing it. And Jesus specifically addresses here, or has in reference here, the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? In the minds of many, the term Pharisee is readily associated with religious hypocrisy. In fact, ask the average person on the street, who were the Pharisees? And what comes to mind? First of all, they'll tell you is that they were hypocrites. Well, it's not entirely true that they were all hypocrites, but many of them were hypocritical and thanks to the many denunciatory statements of the Lord Jesus, we know them as such because he exposed them for who they really were. In fact, as many as 19 times in the Gospels, Jesus is recorded as addressing the Pharisees as hypocrites. In the Gospels, a total of 23 times, Jesus uses the word hypocrites. 19 of those times, he directs to the Pharisees. And the question is, what was it about the Pharisees that made them notorious for hypocrisy? First of all, they were fastidious. They were painstaking when it came to the mechanics of religion. There were those we could describe in today's parlance as extreme fundamentalists. When it came to religious observances, religious duties, they dotted every I and crossed every T, so to speak. And so extreme were they in their approach to the scriptures, in how they interpreted and applied the scriptures. One of the things that were known for was that they read into scriptures, into the scriptures, their own ideas, their own man-made traditions, even putting these accretions on par with scripture, if not even more important than scripture. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, they, along with the scribes, confronted Jesus for what they described as his disciples breaking the tradition of the elders in not washing their hands before they eat. 
And of course, the concern was not so much about hygiene as it was about ritual, ceremonial observance. And in response, not only did Jesus counter their question with a question, but he questioned them as to why they break bread, they break the commandments of God for the sake of their own tradition. And in so doing, he classified them as hypocrites. They were hypocrites for adding to the word of God their own man-made traditions because they knew very well as to why they did that. And they mishandled the word of God in that way so as to serve their own sinful, self-seeking agenda, which entailed, among other things, fostering their pride and greed. They would twist the scriptures. They would insert into scripture their own ideas, their man-made traditions. Why? For personal aggrandizement, for personal advancement of self, for pride and for greed. In Matthew 23, as well as Luke chapter 11, verses 39 through 34, we see Jesus issuing in the most scathing manner, denunciating them. He gave examples of their hypocrisy. For instance, he mentioned how that they preached what they themselves did not practice. And that made them hypocrites according to Matthew chapter 23, verses 3 and 4. That whereas they appeared deeply spiritual, it was all for show. It was all for the purpose of impressing others. All their outward acts of piety were done so as to impress others rather than being done as acts of true devotion and true worship of God. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was evident from the fact that whereas they majored in rituals and the externals of religion, they knew nothing of genuine internal transformation. According to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 39, whereas they cleansed the outside of the cup and of the dish, inside they were full of greed and wickedness. That's how Jesus described them. According to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, as well as Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, whereas they were diligent tithers, they tithed everything they possessed, yet they neglected, Jesus said, the weightier matters of the law, such as justice, mercy, faithfulness, and the love of God. So that although they were steeped in their religiosity, although they claimed to be spiritual, they had no regard for God, they knew nothing of love for God, let alone love for others. And then we notice this about the Pharisees. Jesus pointed out that they craved and lived for honor and recognition from men. Jesus said of them in Luke chapter 11, verse 43, as well as Matthew 23, 6 and 7, that they loved the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. By the way, right away we see here that we can test our own hearts whenever we crave for position, particularly when it comes to the service of the Lord in the church of God, when we crave for titles and honors, when we crave recognition, that, according to the Lord Jesus, makes us hypocrites. In short, so hardly detectable was their religious play that, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 44, they were like, unmarked graves that people unknowingly walk over. This was how they were in the eyes of God. And as Jesus described them again in Matthew chapter 23, 
25 and 27, like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He says, verse 28, outwardly appearing righteous to others, but within full of hypocrisy. In short, this was the mark of hypocrisy in the Pharisees that they professed what they did not possess. And that was right relationship with God defined in terms of faith toward God and living in the love and fear of God. Well, let's talk a little about the danger of hypocrisy, the danger of hypocrisy. And we know that hypocrisy is a dangerous thing. As we have seen, Jesus in Luke chapter 11 verses 37-44 had just issued a series of denunciations against the, the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And notice what he does here in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Luke states that in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began, watch this, he began to say to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is the danger of hypocrisy? It's evident here. Notice that the summons to beware of hypocrisy, Jesus gave not to the crowds at large, but where did he begin? Luke tells us he began first to say to whom? To his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You ask, what's the point? And the point is this. That one of the dangers of hypocrisy, beloved, is that even the most mature, even the most godly of Christians can succumb to this sin. He did not begin with a, with a, with a crowd, um, the large crowd gathered around him. But he began first with his disciples, and he told his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we see a suggestion that even not even the best of Christians is immune from this sin. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, where Paul recounts, remember that incident, he recounts how that on one occasion he had to rebuke Peter openly before the whole assembly, he had to rebuke Peter. Why? For playing the hypocrite. He's referring to that occasion when the church at Jerusalem was ironing out questions regarding circumcision as to whether Gentile converts should be circumcised. And you remember what Peter did? Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when certain men came from Jerusalem, what did he do? He drew back and would not eat with them. And Paul said, when I saw that he was not walking according to the faith of the gospel, he says he rebuked them, Peter, before them all. Here's what Paul says against the backdrop of Peter's hypocritical conduct. He says this, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back, separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Notice the danger of hypocrisy here is this, that hypocrisy can be contagious. Peter's hypocrisy 
influenced the rest of the Jews so that they too acted hypocritically. Hypocrisy can reach even the very best of us because Paul says even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Remember a, a pious, godly man that Barnabas was? And yet even he, Paul says, fell, was led astray by their hypocrisy. There were two spiritual stalwarts in the early church who fell prey to the sin of duplicity, reinforcing the truth that none, not even the most mature believer, is exempt from this particular sin. Now, to emphasize the real danger, the great danger of hypocrisy, Jesus portrayed hypocrisy, notice, under the figure of leaven. He used the imagery of leaven to describe the nature of hypocrisy. The question is, what is it about leaven that made its comparison to hypocrisy so apt an illustration? Why would Jesus liken hypocrisy to leaven? Well, with the possible exception of Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, leaven throughout the New Testament is symbolic of evil. You'll recall Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6 used the metaphor of leaven as he addressed the Corinthian church that was harboring sin in its midst. There was this man who was living in known open sin. And to warn the Corinthians of the contaminating nature of hypocrisy, the fact that hypocrisy could then spread throughout the entire church, he says, Paul writes here, he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about the contagious effect of sin. And it appears that what Jesus was suggesting to his disciples was that they, need to, they needed to be careful because the slightest exposure of the Pharisees, slightest exposure to their hypocritical ways of thinking could negatively impact them. He's suggesting that they should be careful of adopting the ways of the Pharisees, however insignificant it might be, and how true, as has been observed, insincerity begins almost unnoticeably in one's heart and life. It begins almost unnoticeable in one's heart and life. As I said earlier, like leaven, hypocrisy can seep into one's heart subtly, imperceptibly. As one writer puts it, the disciples were simple-minded men, easily deceived. Into one of them, Judas, the leaven of Herod, had already entered. It is the first beginnings of false thinking against which we need to watch. Perhaps the demand of the Pharisees for a sign from heaven had begun to stir thoughts in the minds of the disciples, and so Jesus found it necessary to remind them that there was no sincerity behind the request. Second, leaven works gradually and progressively. Put a little leaven in dough, and by small degrees, what happens? That dough rises until it reaches, it becomes full-blown. We know that, those of us, or those of you who are into baking, know exactly that. It only takes a bit of hypocrisy then to take a root in one's heart until one eventually becomes hardened, full-blown, so to speak, in a condition of hypocrisy. 
And then thirdly, leaven works pervasively. What are we talking about? It starts in a little area. It seeps through the entire dough. And before you know it, it saturates the entire dough. Remember back to uh, what Paul says in Philippians chapter, in, back in Acts chapter, in Galatians chapter 2 with Peter's hypocrisy. He says, the rest of the Jews went along with him in hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Leaven spreads pervasively. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because it can come upon you without your realizing it. It is subtle. It works gradually and it works pervasively until it saturates one's entire heart and life. And so hypocrisy not only contaminates an individual, it not only contaminates the individual who harbors this sin, but it contaminates others. Our attitudes, our outlook become affected by hypocrisy. Hypocrisy corrupts. Hypocrisy hardens one's conscience. And because of its deceptive nature, hypocrisy, we would say, is self-defeating and self-deceiving. It's possible that one can be a pretender and one lives a lie, one lives a life of duplicity to the point where one cannot know or hardly detect whether one is being sincere at any given point in time. You say, what am I talking about? This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He speaks of those who are engaged in what he called the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. They have, we would say, no conscience. Well, it's not that they have no conscience. Their conscience is seared. Says one writer, hypocrisy is not a mere sin of impulse, but it is the opposite of everything by which we may lay hold of truth and be delivered. Surely as faith reaches out towards truth, hypocrisy struggles against it. Not being able to live with truth, it can only defend itself by persecution. That was precisely why the Pharisees were intent on destroying Jesus. It was because of their hypocrisy. They were steeped in hypocrisy to the point where they actually hated the truth. We cannot be living lie and be lovers of truth. And how you and I need the grace of God so that we might be able to withstand duplicity, pretense, profession of what we are not. The leaven of the Pharisees then, his hypocrisy, it is to focus on the mechanics and externals of religion without having a heart for the Lord. That was what characterized the Pharisees. That was what Jesus condemned. It is to focus on the mechanics of religion. It is to focus on the externals of religion without having a heart for the Lord, without the transforming power of his saving grace, as well as his sanctifying grace. It is to be concerned about making an impression on others to the neglect of who we really are before God. Such tendencies we should ever be mindful of and shun like the plague. 
But we need to also say that the danger of hypocrisy is seen not only in the fact that it can overtake the best of God's people, but the danger of hypocrisy is that it may assume myriads of forms, myriads of expressions, some of which we may unwittingly adopt. For example, hypocrisy, according to the word of God, may take the form of speaking with flattering lying lips and a double heart, whether to one's neighbor, as in Psalm 12, verse 2, or to God in Psalm 78, verse 36. Hypocrisy, according to Isaiah 29, verse 13, is to draw near to God with one's mouth and honor him with one's lips while one's heart is far from him. Now think of that for a moment. It is to honor God with one's lips, with one's mouth, while one's heart is far from him. How does this work out in practical terms? Well, we can be very much guilty of this. Sin of hypocrisy by singing hymns or uttering prayers that are not the true, sincere expressions of our hearts. I think there's a saying that goes, hymns makes us, hymns make us, make us all hypocrites, something like that. And the idea there is this, that many times we can be singing a hymn and we're just singing the hymns because the words are there and our hearts and minds are not focused. They're not the true, genuine expressions of our hearts and we are found to be merely what? Pretending. We're guilty of hypocrisy whenever we listen to the word of God but do not practice it. And there's a vivid illustration of this that God, through the prophet Ezekiel, cites in the word of God. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30, 31. God instructs Ezekiel um, concerning the nature of his ministry, how people are not going to respond to his ministry, how he'll be preaching, people will not hear. He says, I'm going to send you, but they're not going to hear. And here's one of the things that God said to Ezekiel. He says, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Very pious, huh? Let's hear what comes from the word of the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. They pretend to love the word of God. They pretend eagerness to hear the word of God, but they have no intention of obeying the word of God. That, according to the word of God, is what? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy evidences itself by accusing others of what one is personally guilty of. Jesus addressed this matter in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? 
you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, we can be blindsided in this air because very often, human nature we know loves to what? Point the fingers. And yet the word of God is saying here that when we are pointing fingers and we are doing the very same thing, then we are acting hypocritically. We might not think we are doing the same thing, but if we were to stop and examine our hearts very carefully, our lives very carefully, and it takes a lot of grace to do that, we would see that at times we are guilty of the very same thing. Luke chapter 13, verse 15, when the ruler of the synagogue was indignant against Jesus, was upset with Jesus for having healed on the Sabbath day, Jesus answered him as follows. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Imagine, Jesus is saying, you are upset with me for healing a deformed woman on the Sabbath day, and yet you people lead an ox on the Sabbath day to feed it. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, 19 to 24. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And on and on, Paul goes to give illustration. He says you should not steal, but do you rob churches? He says, you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of foolish, the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? Preachers can be guilty of hypocrisy when they preach what they do not practice. That goes for me. It can be easily done. We can preach it simply because we know it. And the rule of thumb is, for those of us who minister the word of God, is that we should first preach to ourselves and ensure that the word cuts our own hearts before it cuts the lives of others. Hypocrisy manifests itself when one changes one's opinions, one's sincerely held beliefs, so as to please others. Peter and Barnabas did this very thing, for which Paul rebuked them and condemned them as hypocrites. Peter was of the mindset that he should not eat with the Gentiles, but yet out of convenience, he changed his position so as to please the men coming from Jerusalem. So there are many dangers to hypocrisy. Let's consider finally then the deterrence to hypocrisy. How can we avoid hypocrisy? And we can be motivated to avoid hypocrisy as we seriously consider, as we seriously bear in mind the following truths. And here's truth number one. Whereas we may, by hypocrisy, fool others, such deception will eventually be uncovered. We must always bear that in mind. Hypocrisy will always, at some point, be uncovered. No doubt you have heard the saying, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people 
all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. And certainly, the one we can never fool is God, who is the searcher, who is the discerner of the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents of all men. Job chapter 13, verse 9, asks this question, Will it be well with you when he, that is God, searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? And the implicit answer is, no, we can't deceive God. And the word of God teaches that someday all our secrets, all our hidden intentions, all our hypocrisies, will be exposed. And that brings us to verses 2 and 3. If you look at verses 2 and 3, the truth that someday our hypocrisies, our duplicity will be detected because here's what Jesus said in verses 2 and 3. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. (laughs) Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the house of stops. That must be taken in the context of his discussion of hypocrisy. And what Jesus is saying here is this. The most secret, hidden intentions of the human hearts that are hypocritical, that are deceptive, that are duplicitous, will someday be exposed, will someday be revealed by the holy, righteous, all-seeing God of heaven. Scripture says in Job 8.13, the hope of the godless shall perish. And in the Old Testament, whenever we see the words godless, wicked, describing people, the word that is used there is generally referring as well to those who are deceptive, hypocrites. According to Jesus in Matthew 24.51, hypocrites will in the end be assigned a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, the very last book of the Bible tells who will be among the inhabitants of El. He says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. But let me close on this note that ultimately the surest and most effective deterrent to hypocrisy is this, it is the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth in our hearts that will enable us to deal with the sin of hypocrisy. And as Christians, you and I are able to overcome hypocrisy as we submit to the Holy Spirit who alone can cultivate in us his fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of truth. So that in practical terms, we by its power overcome hypocrisy as we strive to practice genuine love, as we abhor that which is evil, as we hold fast to that which is good, Romans 12 and verse 9. We overcome hypocrisy by cultivating a sensitive conscience. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 speaks of the need for us to cultivate love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If we strive, like the Apostle Paul says, he says, and herein do I always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense before God and man. If we pay attention to our conscience, if we pay attention to our hearts, if we strive by the grace of God to be true in all that we say, in all that we do, 
we, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will overcome the sin of hypocrisy. Of course, we are always prone to this sin like any other sin. And I don't suppose we can ever say that we have overcome completely and we are devoid of it. Because here's the truth. It is a subtle sin, as we said, which can creep up on us without our even knowing it. And so may God, by his grace, help us that we will be people of truth, people of integrity, people who love the Lord with all sincerity, with all our heart, soul, and mind, for his name's sake.